Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Is wearing his heels. On this episode, I'm joined by a real Scotland legend, a former teammate of mine, one of the best captains I've played under, Greg Laidlaw. Greg, I've got you, mate. How good is this? You're in Japan. I'm sunning it in Dublin at some live shows, a bit dusty. How are you, my friend? Jim, I'm good. Thank you, mate. Um, obviously joining you from, from here in Japan this evening um, and enjoying Japan. And yeah, yeah, great to chat to you. Well, we've got a load to get through because it's the week of the Calcutta Cup, as we know, as you know, and you're more well-versed on that, so we'll get into that. But how is Mr. Grigg in Japan? Do they call you Mr. Grigg? <laughs> nah, not so much, mate. Um, died down a little bit, uh, to be fair, which, which is quite nice, but... Uh, Japan's awesome. Uh, there's lots of lots of great parts of it. Uh, really enjoying the culture, all the, the, the different elements of it, uh, different things to see and do. And um, as much as the, the rugby side, it's it's obviously a great experience for the family as well, mate. So we're, we're enjoying that, and uh, yeah, Rachel's doing well as well. So for the listeners, right, and people watching this, I'm only going based on rumours because I wasn't there in 2019. But from chatting to the lads, when the World Cup was there in 2019, you were like a legend on the buses, on all them big shiny billboards and stuff like that. What was the crap? What what was it with you and the Japanese fans? They loved Mr. Grigg so much. <laughs> they did, mate. It was it was very strange at the start. So so what actually happened was two thousand. It goes back to 2015 uh, when we obviously played Japan uh, down in King's Home, and, and the week previously to that. They'd, they'd played, or four days previously to that, they played South Africa and beat them. Um, and I think the the audience on the Japanese TV was, was fairly small for the South Africa game. I, I don't know, the numbers, three or four million or probably even less. And then obviously because they won that game, the next game up was against Scotland. And like something ridiculous, like the, the TV audience went up like, you know, 50-fold. Or, or whatever, and obviously I was playing for Scotland. Uh, I was captain in Scotland and, and had a fairly decent game. And then ever since then, uh, they, they seemed to love me. And again, we came on, two, on tour in 2016 as well. Uh, so I guess that was my first experience of it coming to Japan. And were they calling you Mr. Grigg or am I just making that up? <laughs> I think that was Wilson, mate, that, that started that, Ryan Wilson, <laughs> to be fair. He was, he was quite funny, mate. He was going around. To, he was just following me around with his, uh, with his video phone, mate, just calling shouting Mr. Greg at me. So, uh, yeah, it was fairly funny during uh, the World Cup. Yeah, it's class seeing you do well over there, Greg. I know it's a, a different culture and we don't get to see much of it. If any, see snippets on social media and a bit on YouTube. But do you get to watch stuff from over there here? Like, how up-to-date are you with all the matches and players and stuff like that? Yeah, well, I try my best. Uh, Jim, the, uh, obviously, the time difference makes things fairly hard to watch matches live. 
but but normally I'll uh, I'll catch up, you know, a couple of days later, you know, watch games on my laptop, and you know, obviously keep a, a keen eye on what's happening back home in Scotland, and and also around Europe as well. Uh, I'm doing a little bit of coaching uh, with my team here in Japan, so you know, trying to watch as many games as I can. Being a rugby nose, as, as you know, I am sometimes, Jim. So. Um, nah, but keeping an eye on things back home, and uh, you know, hopefully Scotland are in a good place. I'm sure we'll get on to. What do you make of it all then? What do you make of Edinburgh and Glasgow at the minute? Edinburgh doing well in Europe, not so well in the URC. Glasgow under Franco Smith have put in some awesome performances. Yeah, I think overall across the two teams, um, pretty strong. I think, as, as you mentioned there, Edinburgh will probably be a little bit disappointed in terms of where they sit. Uh, because as, as you saw last weekend, they had, had an awesome, awesome victory and an awesome performance um, against the strong Saracens teams, obviously in the Champions Cup. So, you know, to, to beat teams of that calibre, it shows they've got some firepower. And, and I really thought some of the some of the Edinburgh players really stood out last weekend. And and as you say, um, uh, Glasgow under Franco Smith going a bit, going a bit uh, better in the league um, and, and playing a sort of real positive brand of rugby and sort of coming to the the table hopefully at the right time. Uh, certainly for Scotland, but it's, it's great to see both both the pro teams uh, going pretty well. It's amazing how quickly it comes round, eh? Because we've got the World Cup in France in a few months' time, and again, something that I used to chat to many people about, and I probably mentioned to you. One thing that frustrated me was these like four-year cycles that coaches work under. It's oh, it's about the World Cup in four years. Like from my point of view, if you're in Ireland, if you're in New Zealand, or South Africa, in England. Maybe not in England, but if you're these big, big teams in the top three, you can maybe think about these cycles. It frustrated me when I was in the, well, maybe it's because I wasn't in the team because they were looking forward to the World Cup in four years' time. So maybe there's a bitterness around me thinking that. But there is all the talk around the World Cup. We're not going to talk about that. How important is this Six Nations? Do you think it's important because of the World Cup or do you just think it's important because we need to start doing something? Um, no, it's always important because it's 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 the the biggest tournament probably in the world or one of the biggest tournaments in the world. Clearly, the Six Nations are outside of the, the World Cup. So it's obviously a very important year. But, you know, certainly from a Scottish perspective, um, you know, we want to do well in the Six Nations. It's a tournament we've, we've not cracked, um, you know, at all. We've had a couple of finishes in, I think, third spot. Uh, obviously, the boys are, are finished fourth in, in the last couple of seasons. So, um, it's a it's a really difficult tournament, uh, clearly, uh, but it, it's one that I know the the Scottish boys are desperate to try and get some more success in. Um, you know, in, in, in a World Cup year, I guess it just makes it more exciting for for the fans, for people looking in, um, because it's all almost the you know the, the the pre-show before the big show, as it were. But it's you know it, it's it's gearing up to be a heck of a Six Nations, that's for sure. With you know. Teams like France playing away in Ireland and stuff like that. So it's going to be massive. What is the expectation, Greg, former captain? I was vice captain for about three minutes against Romania until the coach <laughs> ran on and said, no, you're not You're not captain, you're not vice captain. But from someone who has captained the team and one of the best and most emotional captains I've worked under, Greg, what's the expectations for the fans listening to this? Because... Really, right, you want to win the World Cup, you want to win the Six Nations, you want to win a Grand Slam, but also you have to be realistic, right, in terms of the quality of some of the other teams. So now you're out of it and you're looking in. For the fans, what is the realistic expectations of this team? Well, starting, obviously, talking about the Six Nations, I think, you know, for me at the moment, Ireland and France uh, are out in front. And, and I think they've shown that with the performances, especially Ireland. Uh, oh, no, not especially Ireland, because France have been excellent as well. 
uh, you know, but Ireland have a real positive uh, uh, wins, you know, down in places like New Zealand, and you just don't go there and win unless you're playing extremely good rugby, which which they are. So, what's good for Scotland, Jim, at the minute is you know that that third, fourth uh, place spot. I think if the boys can push up into that third place spot uh, this year, that, that that's that's great progress because you don't take massive jumps, and, and history will prove that you don't go from you know fourth, fifth in that table to straight up the first or, or very rarely. So, you, you know, it's about climbing that ladder. It's about pushing it forward a, a little bit more. And, um, I think England are obviously a little bit unknown at, at the moment in terms of they've got excellent players, but I think they always have. So, you know, it's it's how quick are England going to be able to come together in, in many ways. Um, so hopefully from a Scottish perspective, we're, we're going to get them at the best time. We're going to get them first up when they've not had any games under, under, under Steve yet. But I think... You know, knowing Steve, England and England are only going to get better um, as well. But I think you know, yeah, coming back to the the question, yeah, in, in that sort of third fourth swap, I, I think it's a positive um, result for, for Scotland, in my opinion. We've had England's number for the past few years. Why is that? I think probably the way England have set up to play, in, in my opinion, in the last few years, um, lots of kicking. Um, and I think, you know, that kicking game can be hard to play against, but I think if the kicking game doesn't work exactly, or if your kicks are just a, just slightly too long, you give that the catcher a little bit of time to, to get away and, and get that first pass away, and, and you could, Scotland could really break the game up, and I think that's really played into Scotland's strengths over the last couple of years, and, and that's probably the only reason why. And, and, and the boys have probably taken a, a bit of confidence, obviously, from... 2018, we beat them at home. 2019, it was that crazy game. We ended up, um, you know, coming back and getting a draw. So you you know what it's like, um, Jim. If, if you if if you go well against teams, you know you start to get a bit of confidence and, and you know you can beat them. So that's probably where it's came from. And and credit to the boys that they played really well in the last uh, three four seasons. Uh, but you know they're going to have to re- reproduce that again. At, and what's, what's going to be probably a, a sold out Twickenham. It was interesting. Interviewed Billy Van Polo, and I said, like, who's the team that you and the England boys want to beat? Like, what is the number one team? Is it South Africa's they've had your number? Is it an Ireland or France because they're the best teams? And he said Scotland. He said that that is the team now. And maybe, Greg, you're partly to blame for that because of the videos that went viral with you with your tie around your head, <laughs> singing No Flower of Scotland. It is still a thing, right? Like, as in that is why this first game up, like the Scotland-England, England-Scotland, Calcutta Cup match, and I've played in eight of them. It's a, it's a proper thing, right? There is that uh, historic element to it. Is it still that big, do you think? Oh, yeah, very much so, I think. You know, and, you know, you know Billy's answer probably, probably uh, you know, suggests that as well, you know, coming from, from the English setup, And obviously, they want to get one back because, you know, we're, we're the smaller nation and, and we've we've managed to take the spoils over the last few years, and you know that'll be why they'll they'll be keen to to put one back uh, back over on on the Scotland team, and you know put us back in our box as it were. But you know, and it just comes back to I guess credit to the to the Scotland team, in, in my opinion, over the last uh, you know three or four times they've played England, because I've always said it and I always will that England's you know the quality of players they've got is, is really high. The depth of players they've got is, is is obviously really strong as well. You know, probably certainly we don't have anywhere near as much depth as, as somebody like England. But it just shows, you know, on our day, um, because we have some really good players on our day. If we can keep everybody fit, you know, we can go with, with the best teams in the world. So 
for for Scotland, I guess it's it's just about can we can we keep that or can we improve that consistency uh, going forward? Because that was the frustrations from the team, uh, you know, last year. Great victory against uh, you know England, I think it was, and then we and then we slipped up against Wales in a, in a test match we were in. We just got um, you know ill disciplined, and then we just you know let the test match slip away. So it's about you know, closing the gaps, closing the percentages and getting over the line in these tight games. Yeah, it's the same order this week, uh, this season. We've got England first up and then Wales at home. And do you think there's a part of it because of the emotion around that England game and the build-up, not just from the players, but from the fans, from the media, that the lads get themselves that high up for it, that it's like sport, right? You, you struggle to replicate that energy. And I've been in changing rooms before, like you play against the All Blacks, albeit we didn't win. And then you've got like a, no disrespect to a Tonga or a Georgia or a, a lesser nation, a tier two nation. Your emotions aren't the same. I'm not saying that Wales are a t- tier two nation to get up for, but you know what I mean? That England game, it's so big and the lads have struggled emotionally. What are your experience of that emotion and that high to then try and replicate that the, the next week? Has that been the most difficult thing, do you think? Yeah, probably. Uh, it's, it's a fair point, Jim, I reckon. And, you know, as you say, if, if you get that, it's, it's that emotional roller coaster. If you put so much energy into the week one, and, and this year we've got England away, uh, which is going to be a massive test, uh, you know, going into that second week, you know, a lot of times it can be really difficult, um, you know, not, not to get up for it because you always are up for it when you're playing for your country. Um, of course, in Scotland, you know, coming back to Murrayfield this time around, so that should help. Um, but it is really difficult um, to replicate that week in, week out, uh, and that's you know one of the challenges. It's a challenge for the coaches, it's a challenge for the for the leaders in, in the team. Uh, you know, to, to try and make sure that is at the forefront of everybody's mind. But you know, coming back to it again, the first game is obviously the most important. What did you make of all the Finn stuff? Greg, that went on. I know we're through that now, but as a former captain, someone who loves Scotland, and you'll be a big fan of Finn and Gregor as well. What did you make of that whole situation? I'll be honest, you know, you know it wasn't great, was it? Um, you know, there's no point in beating around the bush, I think. Yeah, especially when, you know, Gregor came out and he, you know, he said he wasn't picking Finn, you know, because of form and stuff. And, uh, so I'll rather just came out and, and said, look, you know, I don't see eye to eye well, at the minute, and so I'm going a different direction, or, or a much because it was clearly obvious that that was the case. So I'm I'm glad that they're, they're through it. I think hopefully they, they've worked the differences out because we we need you know Scotland need a full fire and Finn Russell, somebody that's happy, uh, you know, within the squad and really driving the team forward because he's such a big part of of that Scotland team. He's, he's such a big character. And, you know, and when Finn's, when Finn's happy, when Finn's confident, it's no surprise in my opinion that, you know, you see a better Scotland team play because the way he plays the game, you know, he, he brings in other players into the game. He brings in, you know, whether it be a Chris Harris in the 13 channel, whether he brings his wingers into the game or, or Hoggy from fullback. You know, it's, it's no coincidence these players all, all play better when Finn's in the team as well. So, yeah, it's 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 about time now we brush that to the side and and they really got back to uh, you know putting their best foot forward and, and sorting it out for for the team, I guess. And with Hoggy not being captain now, it just felt like there was not a weird dynamic, but the kind of three like Ali Price, Finn, Hoggy. You see them on all the photos, like hanging about on the nights out there together. And I think Hoggy not being captain now, it potentially was a tough one for him to take, but I think we all agree it's probably 
the right decision for him to concentrate on his form. And I prefer, apart from when you were captain, Greg, I prefer the captain <laughs> being in the forwards. I, I was actually with Rob Carney last night and he, and there was a, um, a statement that he made, which was quite interesting. No team has won the World Cup with a back as captain. So someone can call me out on that if that is wrong and blame Rob Carney. So with Jamie Ritchie, <laughs> we might win the World Cup. But like, as in that relationship with... Hoggy and Gregor, the captaincy, how much it means for him. Do you think he's better without the captaincy? Um, uh, I, didn't, I didn't think he was bad with the captaincy. Uh, Jim, I think I think that was a tough time for everybody. The team probably wasn't playing great. Um, you know, so being relieved of the captaincy, what that can do for, for players sometimes is, is probably always a, always a good thing. Uh, especially, you know, especially Hoggy, you can just free him up to... To play his rugby and but I know how you know proud he is um, and how passionate he is about playing for Scotland. So that you know it was tough for him you know, at the start and you know because he does in the way he trains and, and leads that group. He is a real leader within the group. Um, but you know hopefully all, all the because a lot of the stuff being captain it's I love being captain of Scotland. Don't get me wrong, but I didn't like it all or I didn't love it all the time. That is for sure because there's a whole heap of stuff that comes with. You know, being the captain off off the field, having to do this, do that, a, a lot of extra stuff that a lot of people don't see, and and sometimes it gets fairly tiring. Um, so yeah, in in short, hopefully relieving him of that of the captaincy. Uh, you know, he can just let him get back, play his rugby, be real, still be real passionate. Obviously, he's he's naturally going to be a big leader uh, within the squad, and and hopefully he can he can stand alongside Jamie in, in that leadership role because. That's that's something I learned over over my years was is that it's that collective leadership that, that's the most important. There's no there's no one person that's uh, you know more important than, than the other. Essentially, in a, in a rugby team, you need everybody firing, um, and certainly more so from a Scottish perspective, you, you need everybody playing close to 100 uh, percent as they can to to win Test matches, especially in the Six Nations. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. One of the things we've struggled with in Scotland, Greg, is depth. 
one thing that I know when we played together, it seemed to piss you off a little bit and I understood why and we can talk about that is around the project players and the residency rules and players being brought into the squad that have got no affiliation to Scotland apart from they had a Scotty dog one day and they brought in one thing I remember Greg when you were captain and I won't name the players that were brought into the squad but there were a number of players that came into the squad that were not Scottish there was a residency thing and they were put up in front of the team to sing the national anthem they didn't know the words and it all became a little bit embarrassing and we'd laugh about it some of us players would laugh about it but I always looked at your face and you were fuming because you were one of the most passionate Scotsmen in that squad how are you about that now? Because you look at the team now, you look at the squad, the likes of Ben Healy coming in from Munster, uh, Jack Dempsey, cat by Australia, um, and then some of the players that have really rocked up, like Duan van der Merwe. Pierre Schoeman has been one of the form loose heads in the world. There's talk of John Cooney potentially coming in. As a proud Scotsman and someone that's removed from it now, where do you stand on the residency and the project players playing for Scotland? Well, it's a difficult one, Jim. Um, I think... And I guess I, when I when I was playing, um, you know, I probably I came to terms with it in my in my own way. You know, I guess because as you mentioned, you know, I'm extremely passionate, um, you know, and patriotic. I guess in terms of that's, you know, Scottish side of me. Uh, obviously, I grew up, you know, following the team. I, as a youngster, I used to go along to, to Murrayfield, and for me, that's it, it was it was a dream of mine to play for Scotland. So. I guess when when people came in and they didn't know the words and stuff that that really got to me. Um, so yeah, I, I didn't mind so much if, if players came in and, and they, they they'd at least you know done a bit of research and understood a little bit about our culture or, or the sort of the history of our country. And I always remember VP Nell, you know, being one of them. He, he used to come up to me and, and ask me about you know flower of Scotland and stuff for just little things like that. Um, and you know when they come in and when they put their body on the line, you know I'd always respect them for that. You know what I would say in terms of you know going forward from now, it's, it's I would just really like as much as possibly we can is is to try and produce our own young Scottish players. Obviously, we do have lesser numbers than a lot of countries, clearly, uh, because we're a smaller nation, but. How it should almost be a challenge with, like within ourselves is how many Scottish players can we bring through to, to be excellent because it's shown we can do it. You know, you look at the team now: Hoggy, uh, you know, Finn Russell, Xander, you know, Ali Price, all the guys that went on on the Lions tour last year. Um, so, so it can be done, and and that's where I would like to see, I guess, a little bit more energy uh, put towards whether that be that Scotland under twenties program, which because we don't have any, we've only got the two pro teams. I think it's really, really important that um, your energy and resources are put into that sort of age group because it's almost like a third pro team and, and they're the next generation coming through. So how many can we produce from from within? Um, it should be or always be our, our first port of call because, it, listen, and it's not only Scotland, you know, bringing in players from overseas as well. It is other teams as well. So Scotland's always had a bad reputation, but we've maybe had a couple of extra over the years, again, coming back to the strength and depth things. Scrum halves, Greg, a bit of a talking point. Ali Price, you mentioned British and Irish line. His form hasn't been where it was. He's, he's been a lot better of late. There's talk of Ben White starting against England. We're recording on Wednesday. The team will come out Thursday. Um, George Horn's been playing really well for Glasgow. I like Ben Velicott. He's not been in the squad. Who would you have and why? Well, I've been impressed by Ben White. Uh, to be fair, I was impressed with him um, the last time he played in the, uh, in the autumn uh, test, I think it was. 
I think he, he's looked sharp. He's looked uh, pretty dangerous. I think, you know, I, and this is one thing that I guess the top teams do. They, you know, they understand sometimes players have a little bit of downtime. You know, they, they can't perform peak every week. Um, and I think a lot of times, certainly for me, you know, if I wasn't playing the best, I think if if the coach gives you that confidence, to, you know, to, to pick you, to pick you again, and not out with reason, you know, clearly if you're if you're playing poorly, you got to be dropped. But give that confidence j- just to keep playing, and I think that that connection with with Finn with Ali is is really important. Um, so I'd probably lean towards still still picking Ali for for this game. To, to be honest with. You know, and if you need to bring Ben White off the off the bench, and, and give him a you know a good run of thirty five minutes, then he's there to do. And if it doesn't go too well, you can change it up for the for the second game. But you know, going by what happened last weekend, Ali obviously played for for Glasgow. Um, he was he was allowed to go and play, so that would probably suggest that they're, they're leaning towards Ben White uh, for the for the first week, which isn't a bad selection. You know, because as I said, he, he's playing well. You know, when we talk about the build-up, Greg, and you actually put yourself into the changing rooms in Twickenham and then the following week in Murrayfield, that is the bit that I miss, right? That changing room bit, you walk in to the tunnel from the changing rooms and you walk out and try to describe it to Becky, my wife, and JJ's now 12. Dad, what was it like? What was it like? I really struggled to put it into words. And I know that you were a similar player with the emotional aspect of it. When you walk out onto the pitch, that feeling of being alive, that's the thing that I miss the most. Something that I, I really struggle to explain what it is. Take yourself into that changing room, Greg. And for the listeners and people watching this, as captain, what do you say? What are them last words to the team before you play against England? I don't want to make you cry. I don't want you to make me cry, but you might do. <laughs> I just remember you. I remember that look on your face, Greg, like a small man from the borders and actually how much it meant. And they're the moments that I think really trying to grasp hold of and explain to people what it's like is really difficult. But just to kind of sum up that emotion for you and what you would say. Yeah, well, you know, I, I, I did, I wore my heart on my sleeve, as it were, uh, Jim. And I, I guess in the, in the last minute, you know, leading up to that test match, especially against England, because sometimes it was, a, and that was a, a great learning point for me, I guess, over my career is, is really balancing up that emotion side of things. You know, sometimes I probably got it wrong and earlier on in my career, I'd go too much emotion and and then, you know, that would get in the way of a, of a good performance. So it's really about balancing up the two. Um, you know, I, I very much, I, I'll touch on a little bit in terms of just making sure tactically we're, we're nice and clear and I'd probably go to, to somebody else to, to do that. Normally that would be Finn. You know, Finn, what's our last attacking point before we go out here? Go to somebody else for a defence and, and then I'll just try and bring it back to, right, what's important here? Let's be connected as a group. You know, let's, we're here as Scotsmen, whether it's down in Twickenham or we're about to go in Murrayfield. You know, people are looking in on us. What are we portraying, you know, out? And how's that going to come across? And, and real, just having a real focus, you know, just on the start of the game, I guess a real togetherness. You know, we've pulled on these blue jerseys, so... You know, what we're going to do, are we going to bring these blue jerseys to life or, or are we just going to be, you know, another team playing in a blue jersey, you know, type scenario. So, And just knowing the group, that, that was, a, a, again, a, a huge learning point for me is what does the group need? Does it need love? Does it need a, you know, a stern word? Um, and, and they were all great learnings, yeah, throughout my career. 
and the Six Nations then, how does it look for you? I know we spoke about that kind of third, fourth position. I think everyone can agree. We don't know. We don't know how it's going to go. We beat France in Paris a couple of years ago. But how do you envisage it if you take the emotion out of it and just solely look at the performance of some of the players, the team? How does it look? That, that game against Wales, we've got to win, right? I think, that, I think that is the one where we really struggle against Wales for some reason. Maybe it's the physicality, I don't know. But for me, we've got to be targeting that home game. Yeah, I would agree. I would agree with that, Jim. We've got to, that's a game we're going to have to win. We're, we're going to have to win two out of three home games, uh, for sure. Clearly, Ireland's going to be the most difficult uh, one out of three. Um, you know, Italy are playing well also. They're, they're starting to turn the corner. They're getting better. They're, they're playing a good brand of rugby with a, a bit of a tough edge to them as well. Uh, but, you know, as, uh, with the boys at Murrayfield, you know, I, I'd fancy them to, to get up there. Historically, we have we've struggled against Wales, uh, as you've said, and it's almost you talked about why we've, why the team have done well against England over the last few years, probably because they've got a couple of wins, and then you know they get the confidence off the back of that. Whereas it's almost the other way against Wales, as we've struggled against them, um, you know, in recent times, and and that seems to keep in keep in the mind. To be fair to the Welsh boys, you know, the, the regions have always been struggling and they're not going well, but they do turn into different animals when they, when they pull on the, the red jersey of Wales and, and, and certainly Warren Gatland coming back in, he's, he's, he is going to galvanise them a bit. Uh, but yeah, I think the weak ones, it's massive. I think, you know, Scotland are obviously away. I think, I think Wales are at home to, to Ireland. Yeah, is, is that right, right. week one? Um, so it's a huge game as well. So if, if Ireland get up in that one, you know, week two for us is, is going to be huge. We're going to have to really get stuck in. But hopefully the players can can take real confidence from how the pro teams are playing um, and how they've you know and how they've played in the last couple of Six Nations. Uh, and and obviously they, did, they need to put a performance in against Wales. Uh, this time around to, to get a win because Wales will be good as well. It's so good talking about the Six Nations with you because I can see the smile on your face. We are traditionalists and having played in the tournament, just to move away slightly, there's talk of the South Africa teams desperate to get in. You can see with them in the URC, now in Europe, you can't even call it Europe now, it's just the Champions Cup. It feels like something's happening, right? I don't know whether you can feel or see that from Japan. I don't know if you're having conversations with people, but there seems an inevitability around it. Commercially, it probably makes sense. Where do you stand on that as a proud Scotsman? Yeah, well, I think you're always looking at ways to grow the game, Jim. I think and sometimes you have to put your business head on and look at these things and what's best for the game of rugby. And I think... Going to a Seven Nations type scenario to, to me is probably too many, um, but, you know, just because of the way the calendar is. Uh, I know you know the, the the strains you know professional teams are under in terms of the length of the season already with, with things like Europe, and then you, you add into the fact the, the French you know the, the French top fourteen is, is such a long competition that, that you and I have both played in, and we know the the difficulties that brings. If it can be worked in, you know, I see it as a positive thing. It's great for the game, but, you know, then does that cut adrift your, your, your New Zealand's, your Australia's, you know, who, do they then have to join up with, with Japan and stuff to make a new competition again? And so whatever aligns the, the global season again, that, that's, that's getting talked about. Can, can it be aligned up to, to make a, a global season? That, that for me is, I guess, the ultimate goal. And, um, but it's really important to try and keep moving the game on as a spectacle. I think there's obviously been a lot of talk about the Netflix stuff 
um, the Netflix series coming in and, and following the teams. But again, I think that, that's a real positive thing and, and really trying to grow the game of rugby. So I put out our interview to the masses on social media and said there are a few questions and... The people came back in their droves, millions. <laughs> right, so a few people said, Greg, have you forgiven Craig Joubert after that 2015 quarterfinal disaster? <laughs> I went back and watched it on YouTube. I went back and like actually watched it and then I watched a BBC interview around it and I couldn't... He sprang off the pitch straight after the game and there's a picture of you and, and VP and Hoggy just in shock. Have you forgiven him? Uh... Never. <laughs> <laughs> uh, for, listen, it's it's gone. I, I, I don't really think about it nowadays. Jim, at the time, you know, I think it was probably shocking. And just in terms of the whole the whole, the whole debacle with them sprinting off the field, that was that was the, probably the biggest part. It was, yeah, it was it was a it was a tough pill to swallow, mate. I'm not going to lie to you. Um, and it sometimes springs into your mind. Um, you'd probably rather it doesn't, but yeah, uh, probably probably not quite forgiven on mate. Yeah, it'll be, it'll be a difficult one to get over. Yeah, so that's basically, no, you've not forgiven him. <laughs> yeah, basically, no, but Adam Shaw, and there was a few people, but shout out to Adam Shaw. Topical at the minute in Scotland. We spoke to Gregor about it on the podcast. We didn't publish it because I don't think they wanted it out there. But I think naturally we think that he's going to leave Scotland as head coach after the World Cup. It feels like the time's potentially right. Who would your next Scotland coach be? Don't say Vern Cotter, your dad. <laughs> Yeah, no, I think Vern's quite happy coaching Fiji at the minute. Somebody that would be really passionate about helping produce young Scottish players. Uh, what, what I touched on before when you were asking about you know players from outside Scotland, I think somebody with a, with an understanding that they're coming into a smaller country um, in, in terms of we really have to work hard to produce young players uh, that our nation can be proud of. And that, at the end of the day, that's from me looking in from out. That, that's that's all you want is is to go along to Murrayfield to, to see the Scotland team play and be really proud of the players, and and hopefully they can be connected to to Scottish clubs. Uh, you know, from coming through the youth system because the, the next generation of players. You know, we talked about scrum Haas before, and I think for me it's a real insult in, in terms of you were talking about players that have you know played for for different countries. In, in that position, but we've got good young scrum halves, Charlie Shield, Ben Velicott, Jamie Dobby, j- just to name three that are, that are already sitting at the pro clubs in that just in that tier underneath. So they're young, you know, they're Scottish, they'll be passionate about their country and, and they're the next ones off the block, hopefully. So whether we could uh, persuade Scott Robertson to come over and, and coach Scotland, I'm not so sure. But You know he played at air yeah, back I, in the day. I, I did hear that actually, yeah. So obviously he looks like an excellent coach to me, an excellent man. Uh, I think Dave Rennie would have been good. Probably missed the boat, I would imagine. The rumours here in Japan are he's already signed for Kobe because uh, Wayne Smith's still director of rugby down there, I believe. So they've got a strong connection from the, the days with the Chiefs. So um, I, I think a New Zealand coach is, is pretty well suited to Scotland, Jim. I think because naturally we, we have to try and play a little bit quicker uh, because we don't have big bodies, big athletes normally um, across the board. So yeah, if we could get a, a New Zealand or somebody that really tries to think outside the box as much as he can, play smart, develop our young players, you know, that would be a great fit. Oh, Scott Robertson, Razor. He would be an absolute dream. I don't think we'll get him. I think he'll be the All Blacks coach after the World Cup. But 
Anyway, he'll hear this and then hopefully he will. <laughs> Alistair Young, who is the best scrum half from Jed? <laughs> oh, man, there's been a couple of good ones. I'll take third place. Um, and I'll probably, I don't, I'll give it maybe second to my, to my uncle Roy and I'll, I'll give best to, to the one and only Gary Armstrong, who, who was, who was my idol growing up. He, he's a man of few words, um, extremely humble. You know, talking to a few players that were able to play with him, he's, he's one of the hardest players they played with. And I think at one point he was voted Scotland's best ever player. So I better not try to, to claim to claim above Gary. Otherwise, he might he might give me a phone up and have something to say. So. Yeah, I know that there was a team, the Borders, Reavers. And the more I've dug into it and the more that I've enjoyed watching Darcy Graham, obviously Hoggy, yourself, it's crying out for a team in the Borders, is it not? Like hard men, like you lads are hard. That come from there, like I just <laughs> can we see that happening again? Oh, Jim, the purest in me would, would I would love it, love it to happen. I think it, you know what the border struggles for is is probably that you know a strong economy. To, to be honest, in terms of you know money to, to really fund a team and yeah, infrastructure, uh, I guess in many ways you know with a big stadium as well. So these are all important th- things nowadays in, in the modern game, and you know, you're talking about sustainability for teams and stuff like that so the purest in me says yes but uh you know if i have my business hat on again that, that might might be quite difficult and but you know my oh, not my concern but i hope that the young players from that region you know, we don't start you know losing some of them as well because over the years in the scotland team i think some of the best scotland teams have had some great borders players in them and you know whether it be kelly browns uh you know from around my era ross fords Obviously, now you've got Hoggy, Darcy Graham, uh, Rory Sutherland still in there. And, and uh, you know, we're, normally we're, the way we're brought up down there is, you know, feet on the ground, work hard and, you know, it really suits to, to that sort of rugby dynamic. So, you know, hopefully the young kids in the region don't lose heart and, and they can keep uh, keep pushing through. If the big gym show takes off and I do all right out of it, I might buy a team down there. I'll, I'll hold you to that, mate. You can be the, the main sponsor, mate. That'll do. I, I do like Malrose and Hoyk. I do like them two teams. I've been to Malrose a few times. Which one's the green one? That's Hoyk, isn't it? That's Hoyk. That's, that's Hoyk. Oh, that's Hoyk, yeah. I did enjoy the green. What's it called? Green Yards. Greenland. <laughs> what's it called? <laughs> well, you've got... That's quite confusing, mate, because Melrose play at the Green Yards uh, and, and Hoyk, uh, well, they're at Mansfield Park, but they get called the, the Green Machine. That's what I mean. I knew it was green something. There you go. We're going to buy a team there. A load of people have said... After rugby, what does that look like? So, Mr. Grigg, you're 37 now. That's right. I am, mate. How long have you got on you? How much more in the in the tank? How many more times can you go to the well? Yeah, so the well is probably starting to run dry a bit, Jimmy. Um, you know, as you mentioned, mate, I'm, I'm 37 now. I'm, I've been lucky in many ways, mate, to to stay injury free for the most part. I've, I've had my, my few injuries, like like everybody does at, at, at you know professional sport. Um, but you know, I've worked extremely hard to, to still be playing. Yeah, I mean, it wouldn't be too much longer. Um, what comes after that, mate? That, that's, you know, very much in, in the forefront of my mind at the moment. As you probably know me, you know, better than a lot of people, mate, I'm, I'm really passionate about the game. I'm really passionate about, about Scotland. Um, so, yeah, definitely I'll stay in the game uh, for sure at one point. When I would, you know, look to come back home, that guess remains to be seen. Uh, but, you know, very much open to, to learning, learning more about the game, experiencing new things and, you know, if I go down the coaching route, uh, you know, which is something I'm, I'm thinking about at the moment, is is just getting as much knowledge as I can, and you know what that looks like, and 
and eventually bringing that back to Scotland, hopefully. Well, that's class to hear. You won't be short of options, Mr. Grigg, when you do hang, hang up the old slippers. So people will be happy to hear <laughs> that. Right, a few funny ones. Well, potentially funny. So Sam Skinner, he messaged me on Instagram privately, so he didn't put it on the feed. He said, what happened in Browns in 2019? I'm thinking... <laughs> When he's put that, we saw Darren. And for the listeners, Darren is Mr. Griggs' alter ego. What happened in Browns in 2019? Can you share anything or is it no comment? <laughs> well, that's not that's probably no comment, mate. But um, yeah, that wasn't that wasn't anything to do with me, by the way. I was, there was, <laughs> Deny. I, that was just a, let's just say the, the suspect's still out there. Uh, in terms of what happened, it was, it, was, it was funny. It wasn't funny at the time, but it was one of them you look back on. Um, I was out having a few beers, uh, but you know, no comment basically. Was Darren walking around with his trunk out or not? No, nothing like that. No, nothing like that, mate. Nothing like that. No comment. Another one came in from Roddy McAllister. Now, Roddy is the guy that keeps giving Finn these bloody Aston Martins. Yeah. How funny. Someone took a picture of Finn. I think it was during the Automation series, parked outside a kebab (laughs) shop. (laughs) (laughs) I saw that actually. It was funny. Oh, gosh. But Roddy said, You've left your Trump. Turnberry umbrella. Are you going to pick it up from him? Have you been playing golf at Donald Trump's gaff, have you? I did play. It wasn't the last time I was back. It was a few times ago, mate. Uh, yeah, I'm definitely coming back for that. Um, maybe you can give me a shot of one of these flash cars that, that Finn drives as well, mate, uh, when I pick it up. But yeah, I still want that, mate. Please, so I'll, I'll come back when I'm back in the summer. Last one. And I can't believe that you're going to this. I had no idea. But Robbie McRobbie said to me that you come into the Hong Kong Sevens in April. Well, it's the end of March, April. You ain't been before. All I'm saying is bring your goggles, <laughs> bring a snorkel, and bring your drinking boots, Greg. Are you looking forward to that? What are you doing there? Are you an ambassador at the Sevens, or are you going to play? Oh, uh, if Scotland were still playing, I might have tried to play a gym, but Great Britain now, so I might, I might struggle to get a game. Um, I'm an ambassador, mate. I'm going out... Um, yeah, as an ambassador, um, um, my company here, or my club, sorry, NTT, have kindly let me go. Just by chance, we, we do have a week off, so that's worked uh, really well, really lucky. Uh, they've been trying to get me out there for a, for a couple of years now, so I'm really looking forward to getting down to, to Hong Kong, I think. Um, obviously, uh, you know, Doddy had a, a relationship, and, a, um, and I know Hong Kong's got a soft spot for the big man. Um, there's a dinner going on there, I think it's on the Wednesday night. Um, I believe so. I'm hoping to get along to that and, and try and you know help raise a, a fair bit of money for my name's Doddy Foundation as well, and as well as having a good time. Exactly. Hey, you got to let the hair down. Um, last time we were there, actually, um, Doddy was there. It was it was maybe four or five years ago, and we did this big event there, and it was all the greats of rugby. Uh, George Gregan was up on stage. Brian O'Driscoll. Um, I was going to say myself there. I was there. But uh, Sir Billy Connolly was there. It was absolutely amazing. And to think that Doddy was there. And it was one of them things, you know, with MND and people being affected by that. At the beginning, it's like, it's almost like it's not real. You know, we're there with Doddy on stage and he's having a laugh and he's shooing people in the rucks and stuff. And he's got Brian O'Driscoll at the bottom of a rock, stamping all over him. And the energy in the room that day for the people who are listening from Hong Kong, the fact that we are going back there and we're going back there without Doddy, but still talking about him and putting as much as we can into the, the foundation. Yeah, and, and that's you know that's that's going to be Doddy's legacy, isn't it? And, and it's going to be an incredible one, mate. And, and hopefully one day they can they can crack this, the, the horrible disease that is MND. And I think that the people of, of Hong Kong, the, the expats, uh, you know, it just shows... 
uh, again, in many ways, it shows what's great about rugby, doesn't it? Because it's such a uh, you know small world in terms of a rugby world uh, when you really hammer down and the amount of money that's been raised from people back in Scotland to all over the world to obviously Hong Kong they've raised a huge amount so you know I know the foundation are, are hugely hugely grateful and you know as as, as Doddy would say you want everybody to have a great laugh yeah we absolutely will uh, Greg we'll leave it at that and I can't wait to see you in Hong Kong you're missed in Scotland I think a lot of people want you back in some capacity and it's great to hear that that potentially is on the table once you've done the rounds across the world and sorted out whether or not the yen wants to carry on for Mr. Grigg. <laughs> Jim, pleasure, mate. Thank you. Class, mate.